You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call, as today your Indiana Hoosiers went on the road, walked into Pinnacle Bank, and walked out with a win, 78-71, to over the Nebraska Cornhuskers, in a game that saw a lot of fouls, uh, a TJD dominant stretch and technical, followed by TJD getting hurt and sitting out the last seven or eight minutes of the game. Uh, and a uh, IU limping to the finish line to basically just trying to hold on uh, for a win. And it was uh, a, a game where IU played really well offensively in the first half, uh, got the ball inside well, was I think 15 of 19 on twos in the first half and got to the free throw line, but struggled to contain dribblers, let Nebraska hang around in the same fashion that we've seen a number of teams hang around uh, with this team in road games. And, you know, the, the beginning of the second half, was not really uh, all that impressive for IU once again as they didn't come out of the locker room strong. Uh, fortunately for them, neither did Nebraska. Uh, IU did have a really nice run in the middle of the second half. And then, as I mentioned, once TJD went out, seven turnovers and 11 possessions following that. But uh, IU did go five of six from the free throw line down the stretch to seal it uh, and, Nebraska, and benefited from Nebraska missing some open shots. But uh, a road win is a road win for this team at this point. And uh, so they move to 13 and 4 overall and 4 and 3 in the conference and at least hopefully get the uh the monkey off their back from a road win perspective uh in the Big 10. I'm your host Andy Bottoms and I'm joined with the guys from Crimson Cast, Galen Clavio and Scott Caulfield and we're going to break it all down for you on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. But let's start this show the way we start every show and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. Uh, for me, there were not a lot of good plays that took place down the stretch of this game, but there was one sequence by Race Thompson that uh, that that kind of stopped the bleeding a little bit for IU. He had a nice deflection that led to a turnover and then made a hook shot on the other end as the Nebraska player walked up underneath him as he was shooting, but that, of course, uh, was deemed by the stellar officiating crew in tonight's game to not be a foul. Race, undeterred, made the hook shot anyway, uh, really stopped a, a sequence of, of poor possessions for IU, uh, four straight turnovers, in fact, and uh, you know kind of let them get their legs back under him a little bit uh, there in that stretch and just thought that was a really key play. If you want to look at other stretches, there was a stretch uh, of, of Trace Jackson Davis just dominating in the middle of the second half with a couple dunks, had a follow dunk. Uh, that then led to him getting a technical. So Jordan Geronimo then uh, followed it up with a dunk of his own after that. Uh, really active play there. But the front line for IU in those moments was was really good. And race came up huge when they really needed it late, uh, especially with TJD on the bench. So that is tonight's Hoosier Proud banner moment. And our banner moment, as always, is brought to you by our friends over at Homefield Apparel. They are now in their fifth season sponsoring the Assembly Call, and their first as, a, as the presenting sponsor for the Back Home Network. And as you surely know by now, Homefield has the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you'll find anywhere, with beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison. And if you support other college teams or have people in your life who do, Homefield probably has something for them too. Their product line now extends to more than 120 different schools with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it'll be comfortable and the colors will last through many washings. Plus, you're supporting an Indiana-based company that came up through Kelly. And what could be better than that? So go to homefieldapparel.com and use our promo code HOME to save 15% off your entire first order. Again, that's promo code HOME for 15% off. 
As you think about new things coming up uh, over at home field, they start their big new Saturday this week. I believe the University of Cincinnati is uh, first up in that, and they just released a uh, Montana and Montana State collection uh, last week. I think DePaul as well. Uh, so again, if you somehow have not made your first purchase at home field apparel uh, you can use the promo code home to get 15 percent off again that website is homefieldapparel.com wear one for the team all right it's time to move the ball find the open man and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team which as i mentioned is our uh fellow friends from the back home network the uh the crimson cast fellas uh galen and scott uh galen i'll throw it to you first uh your thoughts on uh on on this long-awaited road win for the Hoosiers you know what they say Andy you got to walk first before you can run and much as we could nitpick large sections of this victory on the road at Nebraska let's tip our hats and give IU credit they ended up pulling out the victory this is not an easy game for IU uh, you know I, I think that coming off of essentially a long weekend you know you had some time to think about that iowa game but you're going and playing a five o'clock local time game before a very small group of people a, a team that plays junk basketball on offense and on defense i saw someone on the national college basketball scene say that you know they they've yet to see a single watchable nebraska basketball game under fred hoiberg and i think that that's pretty accurate having seen some other games uh, just a hard team to play against uh, and and they did everything they could to try to get Indiana out of their game mentally. But uh, I give the Hoosiers credit. Uh, they they figured out a way, despite only two starters scoring in double figures, despite losing their leading scorer on a pretty questionable play with about five minutes to go, they figured out a way to win by seven. They were only projected to win by about nine or ten. So I'm not going to look at this and say, well, gosh, you should do better. This is the kind of game that slowly starts to build some confidence and some understanding, I think, as far as your team's concerned, and hopefully leads to a couple more road victories before they get to the end of the regular season. So, yeah, look, uh, you know, Terry Staxon Davis, hats off to him. Jordan Geronimo, great energy off the bench. Some good things there, certainly. And, you know, they, they got out of it with a win, and they had to have one. And that's about all that I really care about coming out of this game. Fair enough. I like where, you're, I like where your head's at. All right, Scott. What do you uh, what do you have for us? Thoughts on the uh, road win at Nebraska? Yeah, I thought it was funny going into this, and I, I a lot of people were talking about how after the loss to Iowa, it's like, well, now Nebraska is the must win game. It's like this is always a must win game. Like at Nebraska, like, I don't care home or away. Like you got to beat Nebraska this season if you plan on doing anything. So it's kind of always was a must win game. Um, I echo what Galen says. I'm always like, you know, we're we, we do we do football talk, so like a win's a win, and I will always take a win. Um, you know, that said, this it did feel like if this was played in any other gym in the Big Ten, we lose this game. I mean, we um, this is why Trace Jackson Davis is important, folks. Like, not that anybody was questioning that, but you saw the end of the game there. Um, you know, I, I hope that wasn't a harbinger for what we see next season because that was not fun basketball to watch. That was hanging on by um, your fingernails. But yes, a win's a win. I, I would love a good non-Nebraska road win um, at some point you know last year we had three road wins but you know one was double overtime at Northwestern one was the Iowa win that that was good that was a year ago and then we also had the Nebraska win and then you know in 2020 um, two road wins in the Big Ten um, one at Minnesota and then one at N Nebraska so we're racking these up which is nice but yeah you know 
this is what you had to do. We'll talk about, you know, what we see for Trace moving forward against Penn State. But he 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 played great. Um, you saw, like like Galen said, some good play out of Galloway, good play out of Geronimo. Um, you know, Parker Stewart, a couple of good sets there in the second half where you ran some plays. I put it in my notes, like right out of the beginning of the second half, a great play, a great set to get Parker Stewart open for a three. And I, I even wrote down, like, can we do more of that? Like, let's let's run more of those types of plays. And then I will say, about eight minutes later, they ran another great little um, stagger uh, double screen. Parker Stewart got open, hit a three. So, like, they're, they're starting to show some semblance of getting the right people, the, the ball in the right place to shoot threes. Um, but, you know, the, the, the frightening thing is those last five minutes, the team looked, like, wildly discombobulated without Trace Jackson Davis and were just holding on. And thankfully, Nebraska decided not to do anything to kind of take that game or make it any tougher than it had to be. Yeah, as we think about, you know, storylines from the, uh, you know, from this game, I think there's a lot of different directions to go. So let's start with, uh, let's start with Trace. Uh, you know, I thought it was in the first half, it, you know, he, he, he giveth and he taketh away. I thought defensively he just didn't, uh, was really struggling on, on ball screens, wasn't taking away the driver, but also wasn't taking away the guy slipping to the basket. Um, and so I thought, you know, he did have in that first half, I think he had he had 14 points with six to seven from the floor and six rebounds. I thought he obviously was, as those numbers would suggest, really effective offensively. But I did think he struggled on the defensive end. And I know, you know, as I was texting with you know Ryan and Coach and, and Jared, you know, there was some speculation whether it is it the total of the minutes that that he's out there? Is he a little bit banged up? Like what's uh, what's really going on? And, and you know, I thought he still struggled a little bit defensively in the second half. But it, at some point, Something seemed to piss him off in the second half, um, and he really went after it. There was a stretch of, I think, seven straight possessions where IU, IU scored, uh, and and TJD was involved in, I think, four or four or five of those. You know, just really was assertive inside and and took things over. And then on a play that. Um, at one point, the announcer said wasn't malicious, which I'm not sure how going into a guy's back as he's like going up and 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 kind of undercutting him is not malicious, particularly in the context of the other things that happened in the game. But um, And then you just saw things grind to a halt from IU. He came out of the timeout, tried to shoot the, you know, shot the two free throws, ended up making one, but really couldn't move, ended up picking his fourth foul, picking up his fourth foul defensively in large part because he just couldn't move well enough to, to do anything. Um, but, it, Scott, as you said, you know, you saw how important he was to the team because it was rudderless. Uh, when he wasn't out there, and it was just a hold on for dear life and hope that you can get to the end of the game. I, I saw somebody in the chat say that TJD had already tweeted out that he'd be fine for Thursday. Um, I, I, we all hope he is. Uh, anybody who watched the uh, the Purdue Illinois game this afternoon hopes that he is. But uh, you know, Galen, I kind of throw it to you first. I mean, what were your overall impressions of of TJD? Like I said, I think really strong in the offensive end, but uh, but struggled some defensively. Uh, but in the end so much more positive as you saw when they tried to play without him down the stretch. Yeah, I think, you know, Trace Jackson Davis defensively is best when he's not having to play in a primary role. Uh, you know, when, when it's, uh, he really has done great this year as a cleanup artist and has relied on good defense from his guards, good defense from, from whoever's playing on the wing uh, race Thompson causing people to have to, to change their direction when they get close to the basket. And that really wasn't happening. I, I honestly didn't 
think Indiana played particularly well defensively for most of the game and got a little bit lucky at the end because Nebraska had some wide open shots that they missed as opposed to you know being well defended. And this is really the second game in a row where that's happened. It seems to be a road thing more than anything else. I mean, a, a similar sort of deal happened uh, in the Iowa game. I didn't think that Trace was particularly good defensively in that one either. And you know, I think it's easy to look at him and say individually you you need to be better. But I also think that the collective defensive effort wasn't that great. And what ended up happening as a result of that was that Trace was in a position to get exposed a bit more. And, and Trace is very much wired, I think appropriately, because of how important he is on offense, to not pick up fouls. And he'd rather give up an easy basket down below rather than pick up a cheap foul. Now, he ended up getting four fouls whistled on him with this refereeing crew. I'm shocked. That was, I mean, this is a guy who came into the game on the season only committing 1.7 fouls per 40 minutes played and somehow he picked up four so you know this is just part of the design I think in this game the rest of the team just was poor defensively as well and it ended up reflecting badly on him but offensively I thought he brought the goods I mean 23 and 12 and that was through essentially you know not a full game since he he normally picks up six or eight points down the stretch in most games yeah, I don't want, I mean, I hope, obviously, like everyone else, I hope he's okay. But I will say, I did kind of, I'm sitting watching the game with my wife and my kids at dinner. Um, and uh, it's like, he comes out and misses, you know, one, of, you know, hit, goes one or two from the line after that, in, after he falls down, I'm like, oh, he's okay. Like, he isn't, that's that's what I expect out of him from the line, like one of two. It's like where most guys, are like, oh, gosh, he's missing free throws. Like, oh, he's one of two. He's all right. Um, no, I mean, everything Galen said, I mean, he did. There was moments on some of the – on his defense on the screens where it did look like he might have been a little bit slow. But, I mean, the guy carries so much weight for this team. Um, you know, the only concern that you – that I have with him is just, you know, you're you're in this tough spot where you have – you have to play him a lot, but his minute load, you know, since Notre Dame has been 38 minutes, 29, then 34, 34, 34, 36, tonight 31, and he didn't play the last five minutes. He probably would have been at 38, 39. You know, honestly, his number probably sh- – in a perfect world, he should have been at 32 minutes today um, on a road game in Nebraska without having being injured, like being able to give him a little bit of rest. So I would have liked to have seen that. You know, this is something you know, like you look at like Michael Durr has two minutes. I, I wish in some of these rotations you would see a spot where you you let Durr play with Trace, you let Durr play with Race instead of kind of putting him out on an island. That would be the only thing. But, you know, it, it's he carries so much for this team. And then you see it at the end, the last five minutes. It's so much – you know, that this team just has a really hard time functioning for as much as we joke about how we can't get him the ball and can't effectively get the ball to trace. It's funny how they can't really effectively do anything when, when trace is not in there. I'm going to, I got to push back a little on this idea that he's playing too many minutes. I mean, so far on the season, trace has played 80% of available minutes. Um, Last year, he played 83% of available minutes. So his minutes are actually down from last year. And normally if you are the lead scorer and primary go-to guy for a top 50 team, you're going to play somewhere between 72 and 85% of available minutes. So, I mean, if, if Trace was a a center, like a bona fide, like big seven-footer, and he was playing 80% of available minutes, I might be like, yeah, that's too much. But I, I, I don't think I buy this idea that his defense has waned because he's getting overplayed. I think his defense has waned in games where his teammates aren't playing good defense. And also we're kind of in that doldrums part of the season. Like there's always this trough that happens from like mid January to about mid February where guys lose focus in some part of their game. I think we're seeing that with some of the other players on this team right now, 
Um, so I don't know. I mean, would I like to see him get a few more minutes on the bench? Sure. But uh, as Scott just pointed out, do you is that what you really want? Have you have you seen what uh, is on the bench coming in for straight Jackson Davis at this point? That's fair. Yeah, I, I look, they've already updated uh, on Ken Palm. I was trying to see what the difference was in the way it categorizes like the tier A and B games. Like, so if you take out some of the games where he sat when he, you know, they just didn't need him, he's at 87% of available minutes in the tier A and B games. So and that's up from 83.4. I think that, you know, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I the, the alternatives in some games, in most games, quite honestly, have not proven to be better options and and again the team seemed completely lost in terms of what they needed to do when he wasn't on the floor late in this game so it's a hard argument to say he should play less but um whether he was banged up or whatever I thought just didn't seem to have the same juice that he did that he has in other games early but he he certainly turned it on right before the injury uh I thought the technical was given the other stuff that had been let go uh in the game was was interesting and then there was a play not long after that where McGowan's like did a chin up on the rim which I also thought which I'm not going to advocate for calling technical fouls for guys dunking uh, and hanging on the rim, but if you're going to call the other one, I, I I'm just not sure where we draw the line. But that's a that's a separate issue. Um, so the trace T was totally stupid. I mean, I'll take one second on this. It was totally stupid, and this shows. I mean, we can. I have some more stuff on the refs, maybe second segment. But you know, if you watch any IU games, when Trace has an emphatic dunk. He does that. Like, he turns, he kind of bows up, he yells, and then he runs back. Like, that's what he does. And he's been doing that all season, his whole career. So, for them, like, he wasn't yelling at a player. Like, he just – he screams kind of excitedly. Like, he does that after big dunks and when he's getting himself fired up. So, as a IU – it's like if you watch two or three of those games – any any IU game, you would have seen that if you're any of these refs. Like, you just see that. It's like he's obviously not yelling at the other player. I don't know. It was wild. Yeah. So the other one of the other two storylines I wanted to hit before we take our first break is uh, the bench. So the bench was a huge story coming out of the Iowa game in terms of, you know, how poorly that the the five man bench unit performed in that first half. Um, and you didn't see that group very long today because Durr got two fouls in about a minute uh, and then TJD was back in. So really, that group played even today, but in large part just because they weren't on the floor uh, for very long. But you know, the, the couple guys at the top of that list who I think really benefited from playing more with some of the starters, which is what something we've talked about ad nauseum on the show at this point, uh, were Jordan Geronimo, Trey Galloway, and to a lesser extent, Tamar Bates. Uh, Geronimo was a perfect four of four from the field, including an, a couple uh, nice, you know, turnaround jump shots in the uh in the post and a, and a big elbow jumper in the second half. And, uh, you know, he's four for four from the field, two for two from the free throw line, 10 points, eight rebounds, uh, one block, one steal in, in 21 minutes. And he was critical because race got in foul trouble in the first half. So he got a lot of those minutes. Galloway really struggled late with turnovers, uh, but did end up with nine points, uh, on the day, but did have four turnovers and Bates, I thought looked a lot more at ease playing with some of the other players had a nice lob to TJD, uh, made a long jumper as soon as he came in, which was a, uh, I think a big confidence boost for him. And I think you saw a little bit of, you know, some of those guys really being able to to benefit from uh, getting a handful of minutes with the starters, and they really had to in the first half because of, uh, you know, because of some of the foul trouble with with I think half the guys who played had two fouls in the first half. But you know, Scott, uh, thoughts on the bench tonight, and, and maybe what we saw differently from them that we haven't seen um, as consistently as we might have liked uh, in other games this season. No, I mean, you, you hit on it. You guys have talked about it. You know, getting 
getting the bench guys some time with a good group of starters, I think makes a whole lot of difference. I mean, Galloway has played really well, but he's also kind of plugged into the Miller cop position with the starters. So he's been playing with the first unit when he gets in. And I think it's allowed him to kind of play in a better setup. Like I even wrote down, like, you know, the, the first set of subs, you kind of got to a spot where it was all subs, Miller cop and Johnson. It's like that's a that's a rough lineup if you're coming in and you're Tamar Bates and it's like all guys from the bench and like the only starters are Cop and Xavier Johnson. That's a little bit tough. Um, so no, I, I think that's it. Like Bates seemed to play a lot better when he had that run with the starters. But Geronimo, um, this is exactly what you want to see out of a freshman. Like he is explosive. Um, he had the block. He had the 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 putback dunk. Um, you know he's he's explosive and he can kind of keep keep this trajectory um you know this is only going to help the team you know the the thing with Bates is he looked a little more at ease but he ends up again with like one assist two points like just not a ton on the stat line if anything I think Geronimo is probably the one on the bench who has a has a higher upside I've also seen you know in the chat and a lot on Twitter you know like Galloway should be a starter Galloway should be a starter I love Galloway off the bench like you, you need to have I think we're in a good spot with our starters. I think having Galloway as a guy who comes off the bench who can kind of help some of that second team um, is really good, and he's he's been great. So I agree with you. Having it mixed up with some of the starting lineups has been good. Um, but, yeah, those three guys were – I mean, that was it. Um, and then I will uh, – I, I know Galen has some fantasy thoughts as well, but I'll, I'll save that for, for, <laughs> for Galen's time. But yeah, then, you know, I, I still like Durr, but it's like th- this was not the, the Durr game I want to talk about. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to the point guard play in a minute because that was the other big thing I wanted to uh, to talk about. But uh, sorry, yeah, no, you're good, Galen. Uh, your, your thoughts on on the play of uh, of the bench tonight? Well, no, I think you again. You hit, the part of the problem is this. I know people hate the all sub uh, lineup that comes in, um, but one of the reasons that we've seen it rather consistently, I think, come in over the last like five or six games is because Miller Cop and Parker Stewart cannot get off the schneid in these games like i i for two guys who have the capacity to score and shoot and be such an integral part of the offense i feel like they ghost us half the time uh sometimes both at the same time today it was steward was basically invisible for the first half cop hit a couple of shots but struggled pretty much in every other aspect of his game and then eventually struggled in the shooting you know so if you're if you're woodson I don't know if he would continue to put all five subs in or four of the five in, but you got to get more out of your starters right off the bat. And, you know, Parker's just defensively a sieve all game, starting from the beginning. And when he doesn't shoot, uh, you know, I know people want plays run for him. And, yeah, that's nice to some degree, but he's not the primary option on offense when he's out there. TJD is. Like, I mean, you're not going to get, um, you know, everything built around him. So it was nice with all of that in mind to see the subs come in and, and give a burst of energy. Obviously, Jordan Geronimo is the big story with all of this. And the energy he gave throughout the, the – just, I mean, the shots he made, those are shots that literally nobody else on the team with the possible exception of Race Thompson is taking with any level of confidence. I mean, that one that he shot, that that 18-footer off the dribble – uh, you know, I mean, I don't. nobody is supposed to take that shot in college basketball these days, but he did, and I applaud him because he believed it was going to go in from the moment it left his hand. So, and look, I think, yes, Bates, everybody wants Bates so badly to be good, and I get it, but he's just, it's going to be very incremental. Tonight might have been a small step along the way, but 
if people are like, oh, we need to start Bates or we need to start Galloway, I think both of them demonstrated in this game how much they still have to learn about being consistent, about playing within themselves. Um, you know, Bates certainly was better than he's been, but he hasn't been very good at all. So it was it, it's it's kind of a small step forward for him, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I think um, what was interesting is the bench played so well, and then I felt like Woodson rode the starters for I think about the first eight minutes of the second half, and they were getting pretty tired. and And I think it gets a team like Nebraska that doesn't really run any kind of any real offense uh, in terms of other other than just trying to get you know set up pick and rolls and set up matchups. You know, that's just an area where Parker Stewart is going to struggle because he's going to invariably be guarding a solid perimeter player that he really struggles to keep in front of him. Um, and I think that's to some extent why you know, everybody clamors to run plays for him because you got to offset that somehow by taking advantage of what he does well. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. It, I thought the subs in the second half were, took a little bit too long to, to get out there because that group was struggling a bit. Uh, and then Geronimo came in, really turned the energy up. So, the, you know, the big question going forward is how does that change going into the Purdue game? And is that something that Woodson now handles the bench a little bit differently? Does Geronimo get a little bit more run? Because I think that's something people had wanted to see prior and was done tonight initially, at least out of necessity, as opposed to out of a a strong desire by the coaching staff to get him more minutes. But uh, he, well, there's certainly took, mentioned both. he certainly took advantage of it, but... Ahead, it's funny you mentioned both those guys because I, I wrote it down. In the first eight minutes of the second half, we were two for 11 from the field. Those two shots were Parker Stewart's plays. And then the third, which put us three for 12, was Jordan Geronimo's shot. So you're right. I mean, they were they were struggling. And it's just a weird stat to be two for 11 in eight minutes um, with your starters out there the entire time. And the two shots are Parker Stewart. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to touch on before we, we move forward is the point guard play. Um I thought that it was pretty clear that Nebraska was doing everything they could to bait Xavier Johnson into retaliating against somebody. Um, we can, I suppose that could be debated, but it seems really, really hard to uh, hard to refute. And and on a certain level, based on what you've seen from him, I don't know that I'd say that I blame them. Um, but I did think he showed uh, some restraint in in scenarios where he didn't get too caught up in things. Now there were times for sure, beginning of the second half, took a quick three, uh, as has become uh, somewhat customary. Turned the ball over, uh, although I thought got tripped a couple of the times that he turned the ball over uh, somewhat late in the game after TJD went out. When I felt like he was just trying to make plays without TJD there, he did hit the big three and he went four for four from the free throw line. But he had you know three turnovers uh, in total down the stretch, and I you know again. All things considered, thought he handled himself fairly well given the circumstances and what was going on. And then you contrast that with the way that Rob Finnessy played down the stretch when Xavier Johnson picked up his fourth foul, and Rob just went into his shell and was, I mean, dribbling, trying to dribble the clock out with, I think, five minutes left in the game. I, it, it looks like TJD went out with seven-something left because um, he shot the free throws after the media timeout, and he only played 12 minutes in the second half, so... They played seven-plus without him. Xavier Johnson missed part of that time as well. But Rob was just so over-the-top, unaggressive uh, in that scenario, just embodied IU just kind of playing not to lose. And then they would never get into anything offensively. And that led to so many of the turnovers because it's late shot clock situations. Xavier Johnson is really the only guy who can create his own shot in those situations, and he's on the bench. Um, and, and some of that, I suppose, could come from – you know, the way Woodson is telling them to play, I don't really know, but I really thought, you know, Rob, just in, in terms of, 
you know, just in terms of how he handled the late game situation was uh, a real struggle. And so for those who say Xavier Johnson is too erratic and, and needs to play less, I offer up to you the way that Rob Finnessy played down the stretch of this game and would ask, what exactly would you do differently? Is that what you want to see more of? Lander was out tonight with a leg injury. Um, so Scott, I'll let you, I'll let you jump in. I know Galen has, um, has, has some strong, uh, strong opinions on, uh, on part of this. So I'll let you take the Xavier Johnson part, Scott, and then we'll, uh, we'll swing it to Galen. Okay. No, I'm going to talk about Rob and I have some stats. No, I'm just kidding. I'll do Xavier wow. Johnson. Cause I just said in the chat. No, I, the thing with Johnson is I've, I can't remember a player in IU history that gets in more situations where like he's being tripped or there, there's like fighting for the ball or he's getting bumped into him. I think he creates some of that. I think it finds him. Um, but yeah, you know, at second half, 1357, he gets kind of tripped. He goes down. It's a real quick uh, jump ball. Like the rest are just like, that's got to be a jump ball because there's two guys maybe touching the ball. And you see he's pissed. And immediately, I'm like, you got to take him out. Like, you got to take him out right now. Like, right now, because something is going to happen. And it does, where he, like, he drives right in. It's a, it, again, weird plays just always follow him around after that. He drives in, like, the guy from Nebraska, like, holds his foot. He clips it. He kind of, like, kicks back. It's like, none of this is good. You knew it was going to happen. He He's incapable of not having that retaliation. And, yeah, that's going to be a problem, I think. I'm surprised more teams haven't like out outright tried to bait him like we saw Nebraska do. I think you're going to see Purdue do it with Ivy. Like I think you're going to see a lot of teams just eat, continue to go at him. And you know he he reminds me a lot in this way of you know Devonte Green, where there's some times where it's like we need someone just to do something and to attack the basket. And he does that. He does that with abandon. He will get things done. But on the flip side he will get things done. And so like, if you get him bumped or he gets pissed, like, like he's getting something done, he's getting his pound of flesh, he's going to get worked up. Like you saw it in the St. John's game, like that, the other point guard from St. Like they got him way out of his own head. He was all over the place. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it, I think this is always going to be him. I mean, he's what, like 21, 22. I mean, I don't know. Everyone's a, you know, he's a 18th year sophomore now. Like, I don't know anyone's grade now, but you know, he's, I think he's at least he's, this is who he is. Like you doubt you're going to see a lot of change. Like suddenly he's going to be a calm, you know, this is, this is who Xavier Johnson is going to be. Um, but you know, it, it, it contrasts with the other side, which is Rob Finnessy. And I'll let Galen take that, that side of it, which is like, you know, we, we need, we need, we have hot, we have cold. We need like the middle level of water. We need the, you know, right now it's like having the faucet, you know, like in my kitchen, I have one where you can go up the middle, you can go left, right. Like we're, we're dealing with the, the two knobs. We either go all cold or all hot. We need like a, a we need a different faucet. That's what we need. Galen. That's the metaphor that you made me go into this thing with. Wow. Uh, <laughs> after all these years, that's how he tees you up. Many, that's what you, you should be used to it. You're good. As many podcasts <laughs> as we've done together, I'm, I'm going to remember this next time I have to set you up for something. Um, no, look, here's the problem. Um, Flange talk. Anybody, anybody that uh, that's critical of Xavier Johnson, that then in this next breath says, we need to play Lander more. Um, Christian Lander, and he was injured tonight. Christian Lander turns the ball over literally on 40% of the possessions that he uses. 40. That is four out of 10 times. Uh, Trey Galloway, if you're if you're advocating for Trey Galloway to be the starting point guard, which some people were on Twitter, Trey Galloway is turning the ball over on 30% of the possessions that he uses. 30, three out of 10. Um, you know, Xavier Johnson, for all of his faults, uh, is one of the top 50 assist people in the country right now. But the big problem, as far as I'm concerned, 
unfortunately, and I take, I, I, I'm going to, I got to proceed this. I take zero pleasure in saying this, but the problem with the bench right now is Rob Finnessy. Rob, so I, 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 I've been tossing this back and forth with a couple of people, Gracie Barr from inside the hall. And I have been texting about this a little bit. Um, I went back and looked because I, I look at the Ken Palm stats all the time, the individual statistics, because I like to compare players era independent, but you know, close to each other um, and, and see how they compare. And so I looked and I tried to figure out in the last 20 years of Indiana basketball, who has had the worst offensive rating from a personal perspective if they play more than 20% of available minutes. And this is a small list. So what I did was basically set a cutoff. You had to play at least 20% of available minutes and your offensive rating, which is basically the number of points you score per possession you use. If you score one point per possession, your offensive rating is 100. So I I set the cutoff at 87, which means 0.87 points per possession, which is pretty damn bad for anybody that's using decent minutes. If you take that threshold and you go back to 2010, there's only five players who are who don't get to that 87 threshold. Jeremiah Rivers and Devin Dumas in 2010, Stan Robinson in 2015, Christian Lander last year, and Rob Finnessy this year. Rob Finnessy's offensive rating through today is 81.7. This is a guy who is supposedly the backup point guard. He plays 20 minutes a game, and he is he's worse than a black hole on offense. He's he's what shooting 26% from three right now on the season. He's barely shooting 30. I don't even think he's shooting 30% overall on the season. His turnover rate right now for this is a point guard is not too bad. It's 21.1. But the problem is he doesn't pass the ball nearly enough to even justify that turnover rate because when he shoots, he's incapable of making it. And he rarely actually has what he's doing lead to an assist. And so the struggle here is if you look at Finnessy, this is a guy who's a fourth-year senior. He's a guy who had to have a good season for Indiana to make this work. Like, we knew we knew Xavier Johnson's faults by looking at his statistics coming in. We knew he was going to throw a lot of assists out there, and we also knew he was a hothead who was going to uh, do some things that were going to be problematic. There is no steady hand coming off the bench for this Indiana team. And in situations like what you had this evening, or even, frankly, going back, Andy, to when uh, Finnessy came off the bench in the first half, the offense just completely got junked as soon as he hit the floor. Now, I hope uh, against hope that Rob fixes this, figures this out, because he is essentially the ceiling for this Indiana team as far as I'm concerned and what they can do the rest of the way. Because if he can't bring a little bit more on the offensive side – his defense is not good enough right now to justify having him out there at all. And there really isn't another option for Indiana at this point. So um, I don't know. I just, I, when you're, when you're in that company, when you're in the lander last year, Devin Dumas, Jeremiah rivers camp, like that's a real bad place to be. If you're a starting guard or even a backup guard for Indiana. Yeah. We'll, Galen, we'll not have any were, uh, Stan Robinson were... slander on this, on this program. <laughs> I, Jared and I will not have it. <laughs> Galen, you were ahead, so Scott. close. If you wanted to do a full Bill Simmons impersonation, you should, should have called it the 2087 Club, and then like, and then found a way to find like, like loop Larry Bird into it somehow. Be like, you know, Larry Bird only did that once in his career, but yeah. you got to make that a club, the 2087 Club. Honestly, I did him a favor by making it 87 because if I made it, <laughs> if I made it 85 or less, Stan Robinson's not in the club, and Andy and Jared are happy at that point. There so. we go. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I think. 
I think everyone had high hopes for Rob being able to get, you know, kind of out from the Archie Miller regime and, and a group who really was encouraging him to play with confidence. And even, you know, that Minnesota game where he stepped up and made those threes, I think every time he plays well, everyone hopes that it's the springboard into, you know, him, him being consistently what everybody wants him to be. And it just hasn't happened yet. It doesn't mean that it won't. The evidence certainly mounts to suggest that it won't. Um, but I just think, it, it, I forget what analogy I use, Scott, but it was the same thing. Like there needs to be a middle ground at point guard because one of those guys has to be playing well for IU. And there's too many times when, you know, they're just so different and it, it just becomes difficult to try to figure out who you got running the show out there. But uh, all right. Well, that was an incredibly long uh, first segment. So, but we did cover a lot of ground. So perhaps then we can make the rest of these short. I, I joke that I needed this to be a uh, short cause I have to write up my first bracket for inside the hall. So I'm off to a roaring start with like a 30 minute uh, opening segment. So we'll see if we can, uh, we can get things back on track as we go. But when we come back uh, and continue our breakdown of IU's 78-71 win over Nebraska, we'll point out some meaningful moments you might have missed, and then we'll go inside the numbers to highlight the most important statistical notes from the game. You're listening to the Assembly Call. Stick with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, this is Max Bielfeld, Big Ten champ and better than advertised sixth man of the year in 2016. And speaking of better than advertised, join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. And welcome back to the assembly call IU postgame show. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio and Scott Caulfield of Crimson Cast, and we are breaking down IU's never in doubt 78-71 road win at Nebraska. And now it is time for meaningful moments that you might have missed. Uh, you know, a couple, a uh, couple for me. Um, you know that I'll throw out. Uh, one was in the first half. Uh, TJD had a block, and they they were able to get the ball down the floor for a Miller Cop three, and that was a stretch where IU really started. Seemed like they might be able to to open up a bit of a lead. Uh, I thought Cop. You know, that was perhaps his only make uh, of the game as I try to look. Now, I think he did make a mid-range jumper and a a couple free throws uh, there. But I thought that was a a big shot early. And that was, you know, one of TJD's better defensive plays. 
uh, on the game. And then, uh, you know, another one we already talked about, Scott, you already brought up with Parker Stewart, really running that set for him. Uh, first play of the half, IU gets a turnover from Nebraska, and then they come out, Stewart hits the three. And, and again, you're kind of hoping – Maybe this is maybe this is different for IU in the second half of these games, and they proceeded not to score for the next four or five possessions. But um, you know those two guys, I, I kind of lump them together a little bit. They're they're as we talk about the starters, they're guys who are getting a lot of minutes. Um, both have their struggles defensively, but are out there in large part, you know, for their shot making. Uh, and IU, you know, I was surprised to see Cop take seven shots in the game. He actually took five threes, which um, surprised me looking back. I think. You know, a couple of those were, um, you know, a bit forced. Uh, but, uh, you know, Stewart, um, you know, he's two for three from three, two for four from the field. Um, and so it, I think it's another area where I think Woodson is struggling a little bit to try to figure out how to use those guys. That um, They both have a somewhat duplicative skill set in terms of what they do. And perhaps there's an argument you made as we think about lineup construction and things like that, that maybe – they need to be playing together less. I think Jared has uh, posted some stats to that effect in the uh, in the IU community. Um, but you know, I guess Galen, as you think about how to you know deploy guys like Parker Stewart and Lorcop, who bring something very specific to the table that this team needs in order to you know create floor spacing for Trace and all those kinds of things. I guess what are, what have been your impressions? You know, maybe not for the whole season at this point, but just lately in terms of how I use trying to navigate using those guys, whether it be together or separately. Oh, I think the navigation's been fine. I think that guys haven't performed. I mean, here's the thing. I think a lot of times the reflexive tendency and after, you know, 15 years of, or 10 years of Tom Crean and, and Archie Miller, I certainly understand this, but um, they're putting yeah, like the lineup should work. Like the Xavier Johnson lineup with Stewart and cop, being able to shoot from outside and Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson being inside, that should work. That's a pretty well set up, uh, you know, lineup. And frankly, I have been very disappointed in the lack of verve out of Parker Stewart and the lack of, of, I, I mean, you know, Miller cop is, he does some little things good, but then every time I'm watching him on the floor, I'm like, why isn't he bringing more to the table? Like this guy is a is a Big Ten veteran. He he got a lot of minutes while he was at Northwestern, and it, it always feels like you have to go through the first substitution pattern, and those guys have to go out, and then one of them has to come back in for like either or both of them to really take the game as seriously as they need to. I don't know what the coaching staff is supposed to do. They're giving them plenty of minutes. They're putting them in the right positions. They run plays for for one of them and. They basically let Miller Cop just meander in the corner whenever he wants to, hoping that he'll get a pass out there. Um, but uh, you know, more often than not, Stewart's not putting himself in position to shoot effectively, and Cop's not taking advantage of opportunities, or he's dribbling into traffic and getting the ball stolen. Um, so, I mean, you know, I I think the u- utilization's been okay from the coaching staff. I just don't think the execution's been there, and it was earlier in the season. Uh, so I wonder if again we're looking at kind of a trough situation here where everybody's attention's kind of wandered a little bit they need to get it dialed back and look they were dialed in very effectively i thought in the ohio state game they were really up for that one yeah you would hope that that's going to be the case when they go out and play purdue on thursday 
But I've been more disappointed in the players than I have been in the coaching staff when it comes to the utilization of those two guys. Scott, any uh, meaningful moments that stuck out to you? We could go with Jen's idea in the chat, which is meaningful moments that the refs did miss in the game. Um, but given that I'm trying to keep the show to under, you know, an hour and a half, that seems like we probably don't have time for that. But any any moments stick out to you, Scott? No, I got some ref talk on the uh, when we talk about numbers. No, the, the meaningful moment is kind of a, a larger, I'll go kind of macro on this moment. But, you know, I, I marked it down that, you know, near the end of the second half or the end of the first half, sorry, the game got slow. It got ugly. They were getting chippy. And it reminded me of what happened at Iowa and somewhat kind of what happened at Penn State to a degree also where we had the game in hand and then the game just got kind of sloppy and then we just let it kind of slip through our fingers. Um, Both road games, both games that we lost. Um, You know, in this case, Nebraska probably is the worst team in the Big Ten. That said, the same thing happened in this game where it got very disjointed. There was lots of long breaks. There was tons of crazy fouls called. Um, We won the game. And honestly, for most of the time until Trace Jackson Davis got hurt, it was a 10-point margin. And they even still won the game, you know, by seven points. So they, they, you know, it, it got contracted at certain points, getting close to like three or four points. But, you know, Nebraska didn't do a good job of trying to take it that said indiana also came up with plays they needed geronimo had the spark we need in the second half and so to me that was a really important turning point i think a positive you take away from this game is like look we we kind of pissed it away at penn state you know at iowa like we 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 had a blueprint out there where it's like hey start you know gumming the game up slow things up have a bunch of fouls get chippy you know bring the benches together have all that stuff and this indiana team will fold well in this case you know we did now i'd love to see them do it against you know maybe maryland or you know northwestern or a team a little bit up the echelon in the big 10 but to our earlier points you know a win is a win we 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 didn't let it happen and it did feel at points that like oh my gosh i was really nervous to be like <laughs> great i came on the post game show we get to talk about a loss in northwest nebraska but we did so you know that that's kind of the the moment that i'll take as a big macro one sorry slow to get off mute there uh galen any moments uh any moments uh, stand out to you the one that uh, i mean there were two that stood out to me one of them we already mentioned which was that jordan geronimo 18 foot pull up uh, that really, I, I felt like the offense was stagnating a bit at that point. And that was a really big shot because it kind of kept Indiana afloat at that point. The other one, another big shot. And again, I don't know if this was so much something that people missed, but maybe it's gotten forgotten about. But with 6.08 left, uh, you know, the, Nebraska's cut the lead down to seven. And Xavier Johnson goes out and hits a three and puts the lead back up to 10. And it really felt. Like that was before the the TJD injury, so things kind of got lost in the shuffle there. But it was a really big shot, and, and Xavier Johnson really had been kind of MIA for a bit before that, to my recollection. You know, he that was the one three that he hit all game, but that one really, I think, demonstrated that Indiana wasn't just going to allow the whole lead to evaporate like they had against Iowa, and it felt like that really kept them afloat the rest of the way to some degree. Yeah, that was a. Uh... That was a no, 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 yes shot. If there ever, if there ever was one, um, and uh, it was funny. My daughter was sitting next to me, and I was like, "Oh, don't shoot that!" And it went in. She's like, "Yeah, you just need to start being more, more negative." Is like a revert. I was like, "Oh, believe me, I've been being plenty negative during the game. I don't know that, that was really necessary, but um, I, you know, I did think for him again to kind of circle back. You know, that was a big shot. Making those four free throws down the stretch did struggle with the turnovers, but was. Uh, you know, he kind of got the the last laugh after some of the things that um, 
you know, they were trying to do to, to bait him, and he just kind of hung with it and, and made some plays. Um, the other thing that I'll, that I'll call out, there were a couple of really nice floaters from from Trey Galloway when he was, uh, you know, one was from about the free throw line, I think, and I, I think he hit one uh, in the middle of that stretch in the second half, hit, hit the rim really soft and kind of kind of bounced around. Now, flip side with him is he turned the ball over three times late, and, and I thought, you know, when he really tried to be – it was almost like he was trying to overcompensate for for Rob being so unaggressive, where he seemed to really try to take it on himself to 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 drive. And I think what he's going to find, and and what I think he found last year was people are going to play off him and dare him to make shots. I think that floater is a way to kind of take the middle ground of he's not shooting threes, which uh, you know he made a you know he made a couple big ones this year, but generally speaking, that's not a shot that he's going to make a ton of. And so I think that floater is a good way for him to be able to take some of the space that they're going to give him, but not drive into traffic. And I think more often than not, when he got himself into trouble late, he was really trying to drive into traffic. But um, I think at least at least one, maybe two of those were situations where they'd you know burn the whole shot clock, and then it was like, well, here's the ball, go try to figure something out, um, which uh, which did not work particularly well. Um, and he, Scott, br- he brought the he brought the uh, the drop shot down just a tad from that one in Iowa, which was like you know almost touched the rafters. Like yeah, would have hit the, the uh, yeah didn't the, the, the ceiling. Uh, yeah, yeah. would have hit the scoreboard at the uh, Dallas Stadium. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I thought you know Trey continued. It was a little bit of a mixed bag with the turnovers late. Um, but I, I thought overall another solid performance from him. Good energy off the bench. Uh, you know, really has worked himself back quickly after that wrist injury to become a pretty key part of the uh, the rotation. Um. Any uh, Gail, any thoughts on on Trey before we uh, move to stats? No, look, I, I think he had such a great game back in the Ohio State game. He's had two games that weren't as great. Now, he still did okay though. And look, I think he's rounding into shape. If he can, if he can cut down on the turnovers and he can continue to be an offensive threat, I'd like to see him get more minutes. But he's, I, I mean, this Purdue game is going to be a big test for him. And like, how well does he handle that pressure? that level of uh, competition I'm really curious to see I'll be quick on this it is interesting how you're kind of getting guys in two camps where like Galen's talking about you kind of have like the Parker Stewart Rob Finnessy Miller cop kind of guys who just seem to be sleepwalking through some of the game and you're just like hey do something and then you have like these super aggressive like the Trey Galloway you know race and trace and you know to a bit you know Jordan Geronimo and it's like it's interesting and and it seems like you know Tamar Bates is kind of like which (laughs) which group am I going to go with the you know the the Sharks or the Jets you know very timely reference, but it, it is weird to have such a dichotomy on this team of guys who are kind of either like kind of super hyper aggressive and guys who are not. You're going to, you're going to reference carousel next Scott, or, or, you know, I mean, uh, moving on. Don't, don't challenge him. Don't challenge him. All right. So now it's time to go inside the, inside the numbers, not inside the musical numbers uh, as we, as we move forward. But uh, so this segment is sponsored by the power rank where our friend Ed uses data and analytics to make accurate football and college basketball predictions. Also writes an incredible March Madness guide every year, which we'll have a special offer for you on once March rolls around. And for now, if you want sports betting advice with a PhD edge, or if you just like understanding sports at a more analytical level, you should subscribe to Ed's free newsletter. To do that, go to thepowerrank.com slash AC to subscribe. Again, that's thepowerrank.com slash AC. All right, let's talk through the numbers that tell the story of the game. And uh, Scott, I'll throw this to you first. What were the uh, numbers that stood out to you looking at the box score? I know this always drives Jared nuts because I always take these these questions and go a little off the radar. But here here's a number just because we what we've been kind of talking around it. Referee first half 
Um, there's the flagrant call where there's the elbow on Trey Galloway. Um, Galen's been to a couple Pacers games with me. I, go, I have a half-season package. I go to Pacers games. I mention this to everybody I go to. I mean, there's calls. There's bad calls in the NBA level. But, like, it happens so quick, and they move on with the game. And very rarely do I go to an NBA game and walk away being like, I, I, I noticed the rest. Like, I'll watch – two and a half quarters in an NBA game, be like, I don't even remember there were refs out there. I know there are, but they just do stuff. It's like, boom, foul, guys, all right, move it on. Here's the ball, let's go. Three minutes and 45 seconds. Okay, that's exactly how long in real time from the time that Galloway hit him in the nose till the coach, the, the refs had to go check it out on replay, had to come back, middle of the court, talk a little bit, put their hand on their chin. Hmm, that's interesting. Oh, you think so, Bob? I don't know. What about you? And they go back and talk to the two coaches. Three minutes, almost four minutes. It's like he hit him. Okay, pick one. It's a tech. It's a. It's a, It's one or the other. Let's just move on. Like, and then there's a million other ref calls. But it's like college refs suck so bad because they make the game so much about them, even when they're not trying to. It's so annoying. Um, anyway, just that's that's where you know people can hate NBA basketball and hate the three and D stuff. It's like you go to an NBA game, you rarely notice the refs, and this is just a prime example of how bad officiating is. Three minutes and 45 seconds. It ground the entire game to a halt. And then, Andy, to your point, you have, you know, one of your two or three marquee players in the Big Ten get undercut. It's like, yeah, moving on. <laughs> like, we're just – no no need to worry about that common, one. Common um, foul. Move along. Yeah. Yeah, co- common foul. Like, you know, don't, don't bitch Mike Woodson. Just sit down. You know, it's like – it's so, so annoying. Three minutes, 45 seconds. That's awesome. Way to go, Big Ten. Awesome. Yeah, the refs really asserted themselves. I believe a uh, total of 42 fouls over the course of the game. I don't know if that – I think that counts the technicals. Well, there were, uh, I believe, 24 in the first half. So they really toned it down in the second half with only 18, including a few where Nebraska was fouling on purpose at the end. I think three of theirs um, came from those scenarios, which was um, totally played the opposite of the uh, of the first. So hard to suggest anything other than that being a big storyline in the game. Uh, Galen, thoughts on – uh, well, uh, on any of that or, or other numbers you wanted well, to hit? I'll hit both real quick. I mean, you, Andy, we were talking about this before the show started. Like, we watched Purdue, Illinois earlier. And if you if an alien landed on the planet and we showed them the film of the Purdue, Illinois game and the way that it was refereed and the film of the Indiana-Nebraska game, they'd be like, oh, these, this must be two completely different leagues. Is this even the same sport? Is this being called – like, the uh, it's – there's just so little consistency in the way that games and fouls are called in this conference. It's an atrocity. And it's been this, it's been like this for it feels like a decade now. Or I think it's actually gotten progressively worse. But I don't want to dwell on the officials. I, I, I will say that the um the big numbers for me, Indiana, 71% from the free throw line tonight. I know everybody got caught up in Trace Jackson Davis missing a bunch of free throws. It's an uncharacteristically bad game for him this season from the free throw line, but the rest of the Hoosiers showed up uh, in a big way. And even though 71% isn't, I mean, you're not going to like put your kids through college on that. It's still a really good percentage for a team that has struggled so much to get above that 70, 70% mark. And it was really important in this game. The other one I'll say, uh, Indiana is a fairly good offensive rebounding team. They're, they're not a team that's known for it necessarily, but uh, 35% offensive rebounding percentage tonight for IU. They really did a good job of cleaning up some of their misses on the glass. And I think those th- those little things, those things that either allow you to get points off of possessions when you're at the free throw line or extend possessions when you're trying to get the ball in the basket, uh, those do make a big difference. And honestly, 
uh, you know, I think especially with with free throws, it's something that can elevate Indiana's offensive efficiency up where it needs to be, which is in the top 50, as opposed to right now where it's 75th in the country. Yeah, it it was, you know, you look at a lot of those kinds of numbers. Um, you know, IU had the edge in points off turnovers. IU had the edge in second chance points, although a, a slight one had the edge in bench points, points in the paint, fast break points. You know, a lot of those little areas, to your point, where maybe you can get a little bit of an edge when things – uh, don't look that good. Don't look that good at times on the offensive end. You know they were able to take advantage of some of that. Shot fifty-seven percent on twos for the game. Um, you know hit some timely threes in the second half. The couple from Parker Stewart and then the one from Xavier Johnson that we talked about. You know they were one of seven from three in the first half, which is actually what uh, Nebraska was in the uh, in the second. But you know three of six from there didn't force a ton of shots from uh, long range for IU, which typically is a is a good thing. Um, you know the turnover number looks i mean it is it is high i suppose at, at 14 uh but so many of those uh again i think it was seven out of 11 possessions right after trace went out of the game they turned the ball over uh and right. i think a lot of that was trying to figure out how to play without him but also being wildly unaggressive until it was so late in the shot clock where you're just setting yourself up to you know kind of kick the ball all over the place yeah there a little bit of that at the end i think was was problematic uh just you know look believe it or not this was if you take adjusted offensive efficiency game by game, this was Indiana's best offensive game of the year. Uh, their adjusted offensive efficiency was 117.9. Uh, and th- that that beat their previous high, which was the Minnesota game a couple of, ga- of games ago. So that if you're looking for positive uptrends, it's like, hey, Indiana is figuring out a little bit more how to score in some of these games. And that is helpful. But some of it's taking care of the basketball. And like you say, you know, 14 turnovers isn't ideal, but that it was, you know, 20% of possessions. If you can be below that, that's great. But as long as you're not significantly above that, I think you're doing okay. Yeah, in, individually, I think we've talked about from an IU perspective. Um, you know, I think we've really hit on most of the uh, most of the key uh, key participants here. So I don't know. If there's too much there, Scott. Any other uh, stats you want to hit before uh, before we take a break? Or? No, I'm good. Let's try and hit that 60 minute mark. Let's Absolutely. Go for that stat. All right, Galen. Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> you don't have anything else, so we'll take a. Uh, We'll take a break with the stats. I will say somebody in the chat mentioned IU did have seven steals uh, in the game. Actually, seven different players had one steal, so nobody uh, overly weighted that. And just two blocks for IU, something they've been uh, you know pretty good at over the course of the year, but just uh, just a pair uh, over the course of the game. But um, you know, I think some of that is reflective of the overall you know defense that IU played. They ended up by by my count, one point oh six points per possession. They gave up to Nebraska, point um, nine four in the second half. So better in the second half than in the uh, then in the first. Uh, all right. Well, we will uh, take another break here. And when we come back, we will hand out our game balls. And uh, we'll look at what lingering questions we have, which I think is probably the same for everybody, given uh, IU's next opponent. So that's all next here on the Assembly Call. Stick with us. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. What's up, y'all? It's Devontae Green, giving you the green light to watch Assembly Call after every IU game. Just don't listen to their opinions about shot selection. Remember, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Go Hoosiers. And welcome back to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. You can catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game, plus every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. And also make sure you sign up for our free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 9,000 of your fellow IU fans have already subscribed. You can join for free today at join.assemblycall.com. Again, that's join.assemblycall.com. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio and Scott Caulfield, and we are breaking down IU's 78-71 road win at Nebraska to move them to 4-3 and three in Big Ten play. And now it's time for game balls. And, uh, Scott, I'll throw this one to you first. Who gets your game ball? I'm going to go real quick back to the Ohio State game. I was listening to you guys talk about this, and I just got to say, like, that was a game where Trey Galloway needed the game ball. Like, I know that um, Jared and Ryan were discussing about that one, but it's like, for, for this game ball, it can't just be the guy with the most points every single time. That said, tonight is Trace Jackson Davis. So he's going to get the game ball. Um, but I just, I, I was listening on that one. I know it's been like two weeks, you know, three weeks ago, very current, very topical by Scott. But, you know, it's, it's, they, they were debating it, but, there are games that you could look at what Jordan Geronimo did off the bench, which was good. But this was the game where I think you saw what he did on the court and then also what he did by not being on the court for five minutes when you look at this. Um, you know, he he gets the game ball, um, and I want that ball to be iced and hot and on his back, and I want it to help heal whatever happened there, um, you know, whatever we can do to get him in a better spot um, for Thursday. God, it would be nice if this was one of those, like, you know, hey, we got eight days off for Purdue, but it's not. Um, at least we're playing in Assembly Hall. But, yeah, I mean, Trace Jackson Davis was really buoying the team, was keeping things, you know, kind of controlled. And then you really saw what a life looked like without him. So, to me, yes, he he gets the game ball. Galen, who gets yours? Yeah, no, it's Trace Jackson Davis. I just had the same mentality. I was. I, I thought totally you were going to harken back to something we said after the Merrimack game. That's really what I was hoping for, <laughs> to follow Scott's lead there. But if you just want to get straight I, to it, that's totally fine, too. It's up to you. I just I erase everything that happened two days earlier in my brain. It's, it's a great way to live. You should all try it. Um, get on the goldfish. Just Right. No, be happy the goldfish. <laughs> um, now, look, I thought about, obviously, Jordan Geronimo deserves a ton of credit for the energy race Thompson deserves a ton of credit. He was the most efficient scorer for Indiana. Uh, you know, I think of anybody that played for them, except for Jordan Geronimo, he grabbed seven rebounds. Uh, you know, he, he was a key part of what they did all the way through the game, but, but no, Trace Jackson Davis was such a key part of what Indiana had to have to win tonight. Uh, I don't think there's any question that he gets the game ball. Yeah, I would agree. I'll make it unanimous uh, with with TJD. I think again, as Scott pointed out, the way things looked when he wasn't in the game, particularly after the stretch, he had just really led them on one of the best stretches of offense over the course of the game. Right before he uh, before he got hurt, uh, I think that tells you 
pretty much what you need to know. He, he definitely gave some things up on defense, but uh, 23 points, 12 rebounds in 31 minutes. Again, I think he'd have played another – it said he only played 12 minutes in the second half, so I, he, he'd probably played most of the rest of that if he uh, had been available. So uh, we'll make it unanimous for him. Uh, with that, the 3 of 8 from the free throw line, not ideal, I think. Um, you know, it just looked like he didn't have his legs with it uh, at times, but uh, I will uh, – I will go with you guys and give TJD the game ball. And now it is time for the Who's Your Hustle Award, sponsored by our friends at Evansville Security Services. Based in the hometown of IU legend Calvert Cheney, Evansville Security Services provides off-duty police officers to businesses and individuals throughout Indiana. Remember, prevention cannot be measured, so let Evansville Security Services help you prevent a bad outcome today. Go to EvansvilleSecurityServices.com to learn more. Again, that's EvansvilleSecurityServices.com. All right, Galen, I'll let you go first on this one. Who gets your uh, Who's Your Hustle Award? Well, okay, this is where I'm actually going to give it to Race Thompson, who, I, look, Jordan Geronimo, 100%. I think he had a, a tremendous effort out there, but I think Race Thompson, um, he, he just is such a key member of this team and the way that he played, and he does all these little things that, that – I mean, Geronimo's all about hustle and effort – uh, and I think that 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 makes a lot of sense. But Race Thompson, to me, was what IU leaned on in a lot of moments throughout the course of the game, particularly when the game was kind of swaying in either direction. And so uh, I sometimes think he gets overlooked a little bit because he's pretty smooth in the way that his hustle operates on the floor. But to me, that was the most important hustling that Indiana had for the duration of the game. So it's a close one, but I'll give it to him. All right, Scott, what about you? I love race. I love that pick, but I'm going with Jordan Geronimo. Um, he does things during the game where you're just like, wow, <laughs> like that dunk was like, oh, wow. What's funny is race had a similar dunk against Iowa. So, um, you know, a very similar kind of put back. But, you know, there was one, again, not to hearken on officiating, but one of his rebounds where he just grabbed it over a guy and they're like, oh, oh no, that's an offensive foul or you know, over the back. Oh, yeah. No, that it was, wasn't. He just That he, was one of my favorites. Yeah. The guy just the other guy yeah. just doesn't jump at all. He elevates yeah. over him and gets it, and it's like, oh, sorry, you got called for jumping, apparently. Yeah, it's like I play pickup basketball. There are things that are unfair when people are more athletic than you, and like they're able to do things <laughs> that you can't do. Um, he got the ball, and th- anyway, he's had a couple of those plays. This is, you know, for the season, his his high, you know, second to high watermark. He had 13 points against Merrimack. Um, didn't win the Hustle Award. And you're got- I don't know who won the Hustle Award in Merrimack postgame show. But um, he had 10 points tonight, you know, second highest of the year, four for four from the field, two for two from the line. Um, just a couple of really incredible plays. And this is, you know, it, it does make me wonder. I, I, I got this. Don't people out there, don't go over 40 because your memory starts to go. But I, it feels like five or six years ago, there was a guy on our team who all they ever talked about was how, like, he had the highest vertical ever in IU basketball history. Like, I, I, I'm blanking on who it was, but I feel like that was the only thing they were talking about. Anyway, Geronimo's got to be high on that list. I mean, that guy has just gets up. Um, but if he can hit those shots consistently, like this is – you're seeing sparks of it where he's able to put some of this together. So a great game by Geronimo for me. Yeah, tough tough call um, on this one. I think these were probably the two guys who who stood out for this, although I think maybe there's an argument for Xavier Johnson here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Geronimo just because he – Provided such a lift off the bench in part because he had to in the first half when race got those uh, got those two fouls uh, and really made timely shots played with the level of confidence that I don't know that you see too often from guys who have played pretty sparingly 
over the last handful of games. So um, I'll, I'll give it to Geronimo. Thought he really provided a lot of energy. And like I said before, I'll be curious to see what, if anything, that translates into um, as we move forward for that. But uh, I think both guys worthy. I'll give it to Geronimo. I think that's his fourth on the year, which actually ties him with uh, with race. All right, so uh, lingering question. I would ask the chat mob for this, but I think uh, what's on everybody's mind is the uh, is the upcoming game. Next game for IU is at home against Purdue on Thursday night, 7 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. Um, I mean, the obvious lingering question is, what, what is Trey Jackson Davis going to be available? Uh, he has already insisted on uh, Twitter that he will be. Um, but, Galen, I'll throw this one to you. I mean, I think the question is ultimately is, you know, what, what is a reasonable expectation for IU against a really, really talented Purdue team in an environment that will be unbelievable would be my guess, uh, at assembly hall on, uh, on Thursday night. Um, but, but what are your, you know, kind of initial feelings on, on how IU comes out and, and how they can, uh, how, how they, you know, I guess maybe the best game plan to give them a chance to win the game. Well, The best game plan is to play hard and uh, make shots and defend well, which there's nothing, there's nothing, I think, game plan that you're going to be able to do in this game. It's all about effort and it's all about execution and it's all about kind of doing what you did in the Ohio State game if you're Indiana, which is playing at a high level for enough of a time that you can eventually gain the upper hand. And getting out from under your own shadow when it comes to playing Purdue. I'm going to read a list for you gentlemen, because I know you like lists. And that list is as follows. Iowa, Rutgers, Illinois, Michigan, Maryland, Minnesota, Ohio State, Rutgers, Wisconsin. Those are all the teams in the Big Ten in the last two years that have beaten Purdue. There is absolutely zero reason why Indiana can't beat Purdue this coming Thursday, what it's going to take is a high level of effort, a high level a level of controlled emotion by this team and the ability to do things on both ends of the floor. And honestly, I don't see why Indiana shouldn't be considered the favorite in this game. If you're just talking about the fact that they're playing at home against their rival and they're even look at look at Ken Palm, look at Torvik, whatever. They're only like a one or two point underdog in those ratings, this is a game Indiana should win. It's a game that I, I frankly expect that they will win. And if they don't win, um, I guess I won't be shocked because unfortunately the DNA of this team has tended to be to wilt from these sorts of moments against Purdue in the past, because frankly, Purdue's just had more mental and emotional fortitude in these moments. But I mean, to me, there's no special schematic. You got to come out and stop playing nice. It kind of reminds me, when Indiana went on that losing streak against Purdue in the 90s, what broke that was finally getting guys on the team and, and getting a mentality around the games where they were like, you know what? This Purdue team isn't anything special. This is a team that the other teams beat. Why can't we do the same? So that's how I'm going into the game on Thursday. Scott, what about you? Yeah, stop being nice. I uh, I, I like that. I uh, You know, my concern going in, you know, I was getting this ready for if, you know, as we started to look like we maybe might lose in Nebraska, we didn't. And then, you know, with Trace Jackson Davis getting hurt, I was going to bring out my my concern alert. But, you know, here's the good news. This I thought, is a, uh, I thought, that, was an, I thought that was an easy button, Scott. Okay, never it's, mind. Go it's on. Not, no, this is like a hockey – for those who are not watching, this is like one of those like hockey uh, red lights. But, you know, I let my kids play within the basement, just brought it up. The, the light doesn't work. So this is, a, this is a good news. This means we have nothing to worry about. Um, yes, the biggest question is, is Trace Jackson Davis – 
going to be a hundred percent healthy. Uh, like you said, Andy, I mean, he tweeted out, you know, that he's going to be all right. And we all know Twitter is a bastion of truth and honesty. So there's a hundred percent reliability in that. Never been anything um, false I hope on so. there. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I will say that he took a similar fall against Syracuse, played the rest of that game. And then kind of everyone has kind of forgotten that that happened. There was a kind of a scare in that game. So let's just assume for the sake that he's healthy, you know, I mentioned this on our pod. I know Jared mentioned it after the Iowa game on the assembly call. You know, the, the only, the only thing that sucks is had we beaten Iowa, you know, we'd be on a four game winning streak. And I think assembly hall could have had that little bit of extra electricity that said you come out and go on a 10 to two run and you're going to get all that back and you're going to get people totally fired up. Um, It's Purdue. It's something special. So I'm not quite as, positive as Galen is I think it's definitely a winnable game um, but I don't think we're going to win I think Purdue just has a little bit too much and I could see an issue where you could get like a you know race Thompson in foul trouble I don't think Trace Jackson Davis is going to get in foul trouble but you know you've seen how th- when this team looks good like the play with you know Tamar Bates coming down and you know the, the lob to Trace tonight you're like damn like this th- these parts really work together and then but then for 10 minutes at a time, it's like the, the the lineups are so, so touchy to get right and so finicky. And then all the players have just kind of one thing they do well and so many things they don't that um, I just think, unfortunately, Purdue is a very, you know, a little more well-rounded team. But you, you got to figure something out because then you have obviously Michigan on Sunday and then, you know, Penn State on Wednesday, you, you probably got to figure out a way to go two and three in those games. So um, I it's it's going to be a tough road. But I'm not quite as positive as Galen is. I will also end on this. I thank the chat mob for helping me out with uh, with this. But yeah, it was Justin Smith, the guy with the highest uh, the highest vertical. And people are like Oladipo. It's like yes, I remember Oladipo. Like I'm I'm getting old. I'm not totally senile. I remember him. He wore number four. Leave me alone. But Justin Smith, that's kind of a perfect encapsulation of his career. Like I know he did something, but I can't remember his name. Like that's exactly kind of the way he was on the court. Um, sorry, Justin Smith, if you're listening, I'm sure you're not. Um, anyway, that's that's <laughs> my thought with the Purdue. I mean, it comes down to too. If it back to the Purdue game, if Trace Jackson Davis is hurt or if he is, you know, struggling or under like ninety percent based on this injury, then I think you know we're going to have a, a really tough four days in Bloomington. Well, just real quick, I'm not being. I'm not being optimistic. I'm just saying Indiana should win the game. There's a big difference between those two things. I'm tired of the excuses around the Purdue game. And like this, that's all. That's all I have to say on that. All right. Uh, It is time now for our last call, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. Uh, So before we get to that, remember to check out our friends at Homefield Apparel. Uh, The promo code HOME will get you 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. And uh, all right, guys, time for uh, last call. Um, Galen, I'll throw it to you first. Final thoughts on IU's victory over Nebraska tonight. Uh, Craftsman-like victory on the road in the Big Ten. We've forgotten what those look like largely, but uh, no one is going to remember anything other than we beat Nebraska by seven points and Trace Jackson Davis had a double-double. Like, we won't even remember that probably when we look back at the season a year from now. So take it, put it in your trunk, go home with it. You now have a road win. Uh, They can't take that away from you. And, um, hey, you know what? Uh, It could have been prettier, but I could be prettier too. I mean, we've we've got limits in life. (laughs) All right, Scott. What do you have to? What do you, now? You get to follow that. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it it does make sense that I'm the one to bring this up. I think we do need to come to a consensus. Was this a suit game or not? You know, we had so much talk about the suit, no suit issue, you know, but Woodson kind of was like, hey, man, I'm not going to make it easy for you. I'm going to wear the jacket, but I'm going to go T-shirt. I say it's suit, and let's put that to bed. Um, but I, I'll leave it to the chat mob. Just, you know, suit, no suit. That's all I want is just one word, suit, or, or one or two words. Just give me one word, two word answer. Um, don't need to defend it. But... You know, I, I say suit game. So we not only have a road win in the Big Ten, we have a um, a, a suit win. We're back to the suit wins. That's good. Uh, no, Galen's right. It is, you know, when we look back, you know, for me, it'll obviously be in, you know, three weeks I look back at this stuff. We look back at the seasons, you know, if I go back to 2020, we beat Nebraska on the road. And it's like, remember that game? No, no one does. So it's a road win. It's good. Nebraska's not good. We're at least at a certain threshold. Um, you know, it's funny. This was a this was a must win in a lot of categories. It was a must win in the sense that, you know, we lost Iowa, but it's a must win because if you're going to be competitive in the Big Ten, you just have to win games like this in Nebraska. And it's one of those where, like, had we lost – no amount of like, oh, well, Trace Jackson Davis got injured, and, you know, five minutes ago. It's like, all right, dude, like, what's up with your team? Like, uh, uh, any of us talking to any of our friends who aren't IU fans would have been like, yeah, but you lost in Nebraska. Like, enough whining about, you know, calls and, you know, should have been a turnover and your, you know, guy went down. It's like, dude, go beat Nebraska. And we did. So we got it done. We got a couple days to rest. And um, I, I will say, I like, I like Galen's opt. Galen's right. Like, there's no reason why we shouldn't beat Purdue. Let's go in Thursday night and let's beat Purdue. Yeah, for me, I I think you look back and you know a few of the the most two the two most recent home games that Nebraska had where they took Ohio State to overtime and they lost to Illinois by ten in a game that was pretty tight uh, into the second half. So for as much as we think you know everybody looks at Nebraska and is like this has to be a you know this is a a, win, a game you can't lose and that's true, um, but I don't know that it's as easy a, a win as maybe people expect it to be despite what looking at Nebraska's record and for a team that had lost so many road games and wilted in a lot of these scenarios to, to see TJD go down and not be able to come back in the game. Um, the, the team looked, uh, anything but confident coming down the stretch in a lot of ways. Uh, but they found a way to get it done. And, and hopefully that breeds a little confidence as we go forward. It's, uh, my hope is that it's a little bit like, you know, getting, seeing one go through the net and your next shot feels a little bit easier that perhaps then as these road games as we go feel a little bit easier because they found a way to win uh, despite not playing well uh, down the stretch, but they made enough plays to win, whether that be on offense or defense, and, and made some free throws that um, you know that helped seal the game. So I think that's the glass-half-full approach. It was kind of a survival uh, game where you can at least get yourself off the schneid from a road win perspective. Uh, and now you come home to a, a, a – you know, by by any account, a huge game for the Mike Woodson era, a huge game for this team, and uh, really excited to to see and hear uh, what Assembly Hall is going to be like because I think the atmosphere is going to be absolutely electric. And if that's good for a few calls, for a few points, um, then I think things get interesting. You need a lot of things to go well for IU. You need to shoot threes well. That really helped Illinois in the game today because Coburn did not have a big game. Um, but you did see that you know they were able to, you know, when when Illinois had to go small and have a little bit more mobile guy in there, uh, you know, once Omar Payne was done, uh, you know, elbowing people in the face, um, you know, I thought that gave Purdue at least a different look, and I think the mobility 
that Trace and, and Race have and, and Geronimo, if he plays the way he did tonight, um, can give Purdue some different things to account for. Uh, it's going to be a real defensive challenge for IU in terms of keeping Jaden Ivey out of the lane and uh, staying close to shooters. But uh, really look forward to the, the challenge and seeing what um, what IU can do with a, a great opportunity at home against a highly ranked opponent. And uh, some combination of us will be here to talk about it on Thursday night after the uh, after the game is over. So hopefully IU can build on this and, and move forward. Oh boy, you both you both be, have something I will, to add. Will I will be I'll be at the game. Are, are you going to be at the game, Scott? Yeah, I'll be at the game. Yeah, so we're not All going right. to be on the post game right. show. I just wanted to get everybody out there okay, to well, let them know that. Okay, well, yeah. some combination well, of, the, of, of, of the normal <laughs> cast of characters will be there. But you can come meet us. You guys, yeah, you guys just coming. rub it in that you're going to the game. Yeah, that's great. Fine. <laughs> it's it's yeah. one of the one of the perks of living in Indiana. The uh, the the negatives is the weather right now. I will say, going macro is you know on the positive note. If you can get a win against Purdue, Mich- you're hitting Michigan at a perfect time. Penn State is beatable. Maryland's an absolute mess. You're going to get Illinois at home. I'm, I'm doing a lot of if ands, but you know you could. There's a spot here where you could put together, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, with the win we just got in our pocket, you could look at you know seven games, or you could be six and one going into that Michigan State game on the road, where you know that's six. You know, you're 19 and five, or sorry. Yeah, nineteen and five overall, and um, I'm, I'm doing my math right. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you you could give yourself a lot of a lot of room here to make a nice little run. Scott, you just boundless stole, optimism here. You, you just stole the the whole thing I put on Crimson Cast in the last show that you did with me. I I I made that exact same argument. Thanks for the credit, buddy. Anyway, he's right. You could literally win seven in a row here, uh, but it has to start with this Purdue game. Anyway. Thank you for having us on, Andy. Appreciate yes. it. Glad you guys could be. We're going to marriage counseling after this now. Absolutely. Obviously. All right. Well, that'll, that'll do it for the show. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assembly call. And don't forget to go to join.assemblycall.com to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for the music you hear on the show. And special thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for, our, for designing our logo. And thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you on Thursday night. But until then, take it from me, Yogi Farrell. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. I like everything about that. All right, gentlemen, appreciate you joining me. Glad we didn't have to suffer through talking about a loss. And uh, enjoy, enjoy, in all seriousness, enjoy, uh, enjoy the game. Should be should be a good one and uh hopefully your your optimism is rewarded when you're there on thursday well again i look at it more as expectation but uh, it should be fun i will say i i think that the vibe yeah. in assembly hall for that ohio state game was juicy i'll it was say getting there it was getting and there. and i think this game definitely has the potential to get like get back up to the levels that we're used to. So anyway, Andy, right. I know you got a bracket to go do, so go do that and uh, good luck with that. Thanks again for hosting. Hey, no problem. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate Andy. you guys coming on. All right, thanks everybody. We'll uh, talk thanks to you everybody. Thursday. All right, have a good night. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate, not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.